0: Welcome to the Broken Pie Chart Podcast, Episode 184. I'm your host Derek Moore, and with me is my co-host, kind of permanent these days, Jay Pestercelli, CEO of Zega Financial. How you doing, Jay?
1: Doing great, Derek. Glad to be. I, is this three weeks in a row? Four weeks in a row for me? Something.
0: I think it's three. It's three. But uh, next week is an, an even number. You know, it's 185 next week. This is 184, so I'll, I'll expect you'll miss next week.
1: Sure, i'll b- I'll bag you next week.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we've been getting a lot of questions about one of the core things we do is sort of hedging. And we have a you know what kind of a flagship strategy, buying hedge uh, strategy. And you and I have been talking a lot. We've been getting some questions lately. And we said, you know what, why don't we just turn on the mic and record a, a normal conversation that you and I would have? as we talk about things like why we hedge, how it works, what is protecting, how it helps investors stay invested, how it helps investors reduce some fear, get rid of the timing. And so I jotted down a few things, but really this will just be kind of a free-flowing conversation. So let's just start here. I mean, we say hedging... um, you know, by the way, it's, I know most people in the audience probably are like, oh yeah, I know what hedging is, but maybe define what hedging is in, in our terms. And and why do, you, why do we hedge, Jay?
1: Yeah. So yeah, hedging is not, you know, what you're doing outside your bushes this three-day weekend. Although by the time people have hear this, uh, they will have already done their uh, long weekend, which I can't say I'm... Uh, not looking forward to. Could definitely use a three-day weekend after the the last. What do we think? Two weeks in the market have been a little little choppy for us, Um No hedging. just just a bit. Uh, you know, hedging for us is a way of what I'd like to say providing some sort of an offset against uh, your main market thesis. And the way we invest in the strategy is, you know, we are believers that markets tend to go up over time. You know, you look at the last 100 years, and I think the number is 70% of the time the market is up, right? A uh, small percent of the time it's flat, and then 20% of the time it's down. So it's one of those things that we like to utilize the broad market as a way of investing over the long term for people, right? It's not a one-month, one-year, or even a two-year, three-year period. It's longer-term investing, and so we'd like to use those trends. But... You know, not everybody has the, uh, the time or the risk appetite to just be long the market. And so we like to talk about hedging as a way of being invested, take advantage of those long-term trends that exist in the market, but in a way that, you know, is going to limit your risk when you have years uh, when the stock market has some chop right? And so that's that's the way I like to put it, right? When we say we're hedging, that's the way we look at it. Long equities with some sort of risk mitigation in place.
0: Jay, I know that one of the the benefits in my mind is thinking about eliminating the need for for investors to time things perfectly. And I know right now, it, it we seem to be in a very reactionary period where a little bit of news comes out and it's, okay, things are bullish, a little bit of other news comes out, Oh, it's bearish because now the Fed's going to raise a lot more. I'm just kind of thinking, and I always bring this point up, there are different periods of time where markets have been going up and people are calling for market crashes. Other people are calling for other things. And I think it's important for investors to sort of sift away uh, the, the sensational sort of news. And I always bring this up, Jay, because... If you do a, a Google search and you can do this, you can go in and put in a certain year. So put in 2013, 2015, 2017, and you put in the search term, markets will crash soon. A lot of times the same people who have been saying recently that the market's going to crash have been saying it every year and they keep saying it. And so I think one of the benefits, Jay, in, in getting back to you know why hedge is it's really difficult for people to try and say, you know, is now the time to get in or the market's down? Is now the time to buy? or the market's high? Should I? And I always go back, Jay, to after 2008, 2009, people stayed in cash for a long time. So I think one of the benefits is just, I mean, if you could talk about it too, the idea of I mean, what does is, what is being hedged do for you? And I know I've just been hammering the, the time elimination thing, but I think there's a lot there
1: yeah there is and so i i would say you, you touched on a few things um actually by the way i would agree the market will crash i don't know when it may not be for 20 years from now right or, or maybe it's happening now and we don't see one of these for a long time sure it's like the easiest thing to throw out there to grab headlines but i just told you a minute ago markets go up on average 70 percent of the time and by the way i don't think people recognize this half the time if you look at each individual year Half of the time, I mean, one every two years, the market's up by more than 15% in a, in a, in, a, in any given calendar year. It's like kind of a, a a ridiculous number when you hear about it. If someone told you, hey, half the time you're going to make 15% or more, and then the rest of the time you're going to kind of flounder around between you know, flat, down a little bit, or maybe and every once in a while down you know dramatically. It's almost like why would I not want to be invested more over the long term? And that's why timing is um, such a a fool's game, in my opinion, because if you just stayed in the market, if time wasn't an issue and you could just stay in the market, markets have historically always gone back and rebounded past previous highs. I guess it's fair to say, you know, we don't know what will happen after this sell-off that we're in right now. But, you know, the beginning of this year, the market closed at an all-time high. And so every rebound in the past, you know, however long the stock market's been in existence, has absolutely been rebounded when it comes to the US stock market by measured with the S&P 500. And now that's a pretty important distinction because there are other methodologies to invest um, where you might not get back to an all-time high. Like, favorite topic of yours, Derek, a little tongue-in-cheek here, is crypto. I don't know if Bitcoin's ever going to get back to 68,000. It may never But what I do feel better about saying is when the S&P 500 hit 4,800 at the end of last year, history tells me we'll get back there at some point, right, if you have the time. So, you know, trying to time when to get in and out is almost unnecessary if your time horizon is long. But not everybody has a long time horizon, right? Not everybody has 10 years. To offset a lost decade like what happened between 2000 and 2010 that decline actually took 10 years to rebound from but it did eventually Um, and any dollar that you invested from you know when the crash started in 2000 up until 2010 made money right because you just added because over time markets rebound so why even bother trying to time the market to us we think it's silly because you want to be invested for the long term but that doesn't mean markets should be unmanaged right and so if you're if you're approaching retirement right if you have like 5 years until you know you're going to start taking money out of your portfolios you need something that will help you deal with market declines right if if in all honesty i usually don't recommend the buy and hedge strategy to be a large allocation for someone in their 30s and 40s right i just i just don't but it is more appropriate for that investor that is approaching and in retirement, and especially if they're taking money out of their portfolio. So, with buy and hedge, I know I'm going on a long time on this. The whole point of this strategy is so you don't have to time the markets. You know, timing the market is timing the markets are tough. Um, we did a study, Derek, and uh, you helped with this quite a bit, which was if you missed just the best two days of the year through market timing, right? You might have. You might have, hey, market dropped, market bounced, and I just happened to be out of the market today that the best two days of the year occurred. Over time, over the last 20 years, you would have turned positive gains that were like 180% return to a negative 35% return just by missing the best two days out of the year. And so it's really important for us to make people realize that, by the way, I don't know when the best days are gonna be, right? But you have to be in the market. It's about time in the market not timing the market. And so, you know, you don't want to have to endure the big downdrafts like what we have right now. So you got to hedge, you got to manage your risk when time is not your friend. So I just unpacked a lot there, Derek, anything you want to kind of expand on when it comes to, you know, the benefit here with the strategy is that it is managed and you don't have to time the market.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, and of course, past performance is not indicative of future uh, performance. We don't know what's going to happen in the future. There, I I kept the uh, uh, my my disclaimers uh, in there. One of the things I think I'll bring up too, and you you talked about who it's right for. I would say that if somebody, even if they're in their forties, thirties, if the alternative is staying out of the market because they have so much fear, I think buying hedge. A hedged equity strategy is completely appropriate because the ability to stay in, in markets. The other thing I'll bring up, and maybe we can touch on this a little bit, is there's really three phases for investors. There's the accumulation, the distribution phase. Accumulation is, you know, you're you're getting all of these, uh, uh, you know, you're putting money in over time, your dollar cost averaging, maybe it's a 401k. And by the way, if somebody's brand new to investing and they're just putting money into They don't need us. They don't need us. Just keep doing what you're doing. The distribution phase, of course, is you're drawing income. You're in retirement. You need to draw those assets down. But there's a phase that's never really talked about. And it's the, I call it the base maximization phase. And that's that 10 years before retirement. Because that's that last kick that someone needs to really ramp up their assets in their peak earning years and the ability to get growth. As you and I have talked about before, and we, we talk about this all the time, people tend to need more growth than they think. So framing it in those types of phases, I think for the near retirement and in retirement, Jay, wouldn't you say one of the benefits is the ability to reach for more growth while also taking out some of those potentially really big declines, right?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the main... As I started, right when I was describing the strategy a little bit, is you want to you want to capture some of the growth of that market, and those are the years where you have the most money, you've accumulated the most money. I like the 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 the, that small window that you're describing in an investor's life cycle where you've got you know you have the opportunity for your money to work harder than you can, right? You couldn't normally. People in their you know fifties aren't able to put away as much as their portfolio can generate on its own. So your portfolio is working for you there. You want to take advantage of the broader trends that markets tend to go up over time. Um, but you're, you're right, right? It's, it's If you have any growth needs, right? If you can't uh, live off of 3% a year, right? So you have growth needs, uh, then uh, uh, yes, this is exactly why you use this, right? You have a growth need, but time is your concern. Absolutely, that's the appropriate, to me, the most appropriate time to use this strategy. You did touch on... Um, a piece that I thought was really interesting that we discussed from time to time is for that person that's in cash, and I would agree this absolutely is a is a better alternative for uh someone that is you know sitting on the sidelines in cash, especially with inflation in the eight to nine percent range, where you need some sort of growth to offset just you know inflation in general um so my guess is if you're that person and you're sitting on the sidelines and you haven't bought the market yet. Uh, It means you're a little less, uh, a little more risk averse and you don't want to take more risk than the average investor. So this is a way to invest with having protection in while the market is at a discount. Right. So I think you ended up hitting on a few really interesting points there on how the strategy could be appropriate for that, you know, lower risk, but also younger age investor.
0: Jay, all my points are interesting and, and exceptional. Of course. Uh, the most <laughs> interesting. I didn't mean to insinuate they
1: weren't. <laughs> <interesting.
0: laughs> so when we think about uh you know buy and hedge, our, our flagship strategy and the way we hedge, there there's some benefits, there's also some trade-offs. And I want to focus first and and maybe I'll save. I want to get to you know the idea of reinvesting avoided losses, and there's there's this hedger's opportunity. Let me save that for now. But if you can kind of go through let's talk through the benefits of hedging and then maybe we'll switch to the the trade-offs that that somebody gives up by using hedged equity as opposed to just being invested in the market. So, benefits first, Jay.
1: Yeah, like all things there's 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 benefits and and trade-offs when it comes to the the markets, right? There's 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 no hey. There's a win-win situation here. Normally, that doesn't exist. There's always a give-up. So we talked a little bit about the benefit of timing, the benefit of capturing the upside growth of the market, the fact that we're using the S&P 500, which historically has been that uh, index that you know has recovered all losses, right? So those are a lot of the things that we talk about, and we haven't even got to the you know how the active management goes. But um, I will say there are some trade-offs for all of that because this sounds pretty good, right? The first one is. There's a cost. There's a cost of being hedged. There's a cost of having the protection. Uh, and uh, I like to say we are all hedgers when we live in America anyway. And what do I mean by that is we're all forced to buy insurance, whether it's car insurance or homeowners insurance or health insurance. Yeah, I mean, we're actually forced to buy those things when we live in this country, right? Or we're penalized if we don't. But the concepts of insurance apply here, right? You have the asset you're protecting, let's say it's your car. you're protecting your car. In this case, with us, it's your portfolio. You have uh, a time frame that you're protecting it for. Usually insurance policies are a year or six months. For us, it's we're hedging out a year or two years at a time. So that's our time frame. You have a deductible, right the amount of money that you could you know, uh, the amount of damage your car would take, before your insurance kicks in, right? If you have a deductible of $1,000 and you have a fender bender for $500, you don't use the insurance. You just pay the, the 500 bucks to fix the, the fender. Uh and then the fourth piece is the premium. You pay a premium to buy that insurance. And the piece that I want to talk about right here is that there is a cost, right? There's a premium associated with being hedged in the market. For us, that typically runs at a 2 to 4% annual cost. Um and that that um that shows itself in an underperformance against the market. And so I while I said that we like to be invested in the market and the market's up, you know, fairly consistently, we will drag against the market in those years. And that is the cost of being hedged. Typically, we're only going to capture 65, 70, 75, maybe 80% of the market on those up years. The more it's up, the greater the percentage we capture. Uh, but that cost that cost of hedging is really reflected. Uh, in the underperformance on the on the upside appreciation. Now, in a down year or a flat year, it's not like you didn't pay your insurance. You still pay for it, so it's in there. It can become more evident on the cost of hedging. So if the market was flat one year and we had a 4% cost of hedging, we would deliver a minus 4%. So that's the give up, right? On some of those flat years, it's not going to look as attractive to have been hedged. In the up years, we're going to lag a little bit but we still are going to capture that uh, those the, the, all of those years that have those gains that we talked about, right? 70% of the time, the S&P is up. We're going to capture those at the same, not maybe not uh, magnitude, but the same rate of growth in those years. So to me, that's probably the biggest trade-off that I'd like to say when it comes to hedging.
0: Yeah, I think, in, and to remind the audience, when we say what we give up, it's not a, a fee. It's not... You know, there's a 4% cost or 2% cost. It's – that's the the residual cost of hedging. So there is a uh, – you don't sort of get your eat, – eat your cake and make your cake and get your – what is the thing? Get your cake and eat it too? <laughs> Put the eggs in the basket. We, six we don't half have to dozen. tell
1: anybody what it really is, apparently, except you, right? So we're gonna let's do it. Everybody knows what it is. You got some cake, and you're not sure if you're eating it or you have it. We don't know.
0: I can't. I can't remember that. All right. So anyway, so it's <laughs> it's what you give up. It's what you uh, you don't get all of the upside in a hedge equity strategy. Normally, there are cases that that you get more, but we'll get to that. And then just thinking about the design of the, the strategy itself, uh, what are the, you know, there's a limit or the goal is to limit losses on the equity positions to a certain percentage over a 12-month period. So let's get into that.
1: Yeah, let's get to the nitty-gritty. Like, all right, what are you really hedging against? And that's right. So any in a 12-month period, the strategy is designed to not lose more than 8 to 10% in our equity exposure, right? So your stock portion of the portfolio is designed to not lose more than eight to ten percent and this year is a great example of that where you know the first half of the year what was the what was the uh, equity market down 22
0: 20 percent 24-ish yeah something like I that, think at the yeah. bottom
1: is it was at 24 well our buying hedge portfolios when you you know look back over a year lost you know the equity portion meaning the stock portion of those portfolios lost around 9%. Some might have been 10, might have been eight, right? But just depending on the days of your entry, the equity portion of the portfolios was limited to 8 to 10%. That's our goal, right? And the way we do that um, is we only invest 8 to 10% at, at a time in the stock market, right? We use options to create that exposure. So when uh, we'll buy a call on the market, right? Call gives you the right to buy uh, uh s&p at a certain price at a certain time and while the details of the options aren't important to me what's important is as the market goes up that call reflects the market's appreciation generally as the market goes down that call will lose money but it can only lose what you paid for it so when we only spend eight to ten percent of our portfolio on the exposure to the market uh, then i'm limiting my risk because if the market was to drop more than eight to ten percent I can only lose what I paid for that long call. And that's the general concept of the way we hedge in the buy and hedge retirement strategy. We limit our risk by only spending eight to 10% on that equity portion.
0: So the market goes down 50%. The equity positions uh, in theory, right? Only go down 10%. And the reason why that is you can only lose what you paid for the long exposure, the long calls. So, that is, a, that is a benefit. You mentioned one of the trade-offs was the idea of, okay, there is a little bit of a cost to hedging because we are buying calls. And if all we did was buy calls and nothing else, that would sort of be expensive. So the other side of this is the fixed income side. And so, Jay, I'll, I'll take this one and then and you can chime into it
1: well i i'm going to i'll chime in first before you chime in on the fix do it thing,
0: do right? it yeah only
1: because yeah so because you're right the question is okay jay you only spend 8 to 10% on on your equity side what'd you do with the other 90% right and you're right if we only bought the calls and did nothing else uh it would be expensive right the cost of hedging could potentially be 8 to 10% right which would means you need which means you need a break even of 10% before you start making anything right and so but we've got 90% of the portfolio unused, right? So the idea here is to invest it in a way that generates some yield. We're going to talk about fixed income in a moment, but it doesn't necessarily have to be fixed income. The idea is invest in a way that you can earn half of the cost of those calls, right? How do we make 4% back with that 90% that was unused, right? And so I like to reference that as the yielding portion of the portfolio. It's just designed to give us the safest yield we could find that's commensurate with about half the cost of the calls. In this case, let's say we're looking for about 4%. Uh, Okay, so now, Derek, I'll, I'll, I'll rotate it back to you because we have used in the past, the most recent past, some version of a fixed income portfolio, and I won't ruin the surprise yet. So I'll let it go to you, and maybe you could talk a little bit now about how the yield portion is constructed and what the dynamics of that piece are.
0: Yeah, and, and this may vary a little bit. Uh, there, there's some, some different, slight different variations of, of the buying hedge strategy. But in general, yeah, I mean, we use very short duration corporate bonds, and typically, of, of uh, you know, over the last, I don't know, 10 years or so, we have used short-duration high-yield corporate bonds. And why short-duration? Well, fixed income, there's two main risks in fixed income. One is defaults. Company issues a bond. You buy the bond. It's paying interest, and they default, meaning they can't pay the interest or they can't pay back the, the principal or both. And that's one of the main risks. I will tell you over the last year, the default rate in high yield, all high yield, not just on the shorter end of the, the spectrum, has been just a little bit over 1%. It's been very, very low. But the interest rate risk that fixed income bond investors have is that if they hold a bond and interest rates go up, bond prices go down. The inverse happens if Interest rates go down. Theoretically, bond prices go up. And so the risk of higher rates is much greater the higher or the longer uh, time a bond has till maturity. Now, I won't get into the real nitty gritty of it, but it's the lower the, the amount of interest that a bond pays and the longer time to maturity it has, the more interest rate risk it has. So by us using these corporate bonds that are short duration, already we have a more limited negative impact from a rise in interest rates. And that's one of the reasons why this year, if you look across the spectrum, things like 30-year treasuries, 10-year treasuries, uh, U.S. investment-grade corporate bonds, those if you look at the low points during the year they all perform worse than short duration high yield and the reason why that is because the bonds that we use pay more interest they are shorter duration and on a total return basis they they took less of a hit so that's kind of the and then as jay said as you said jay we take the interest we take dividends if we're using, you know, exchange traded funds, or we're using individual bonds. We take the interest, and that helps to defray the cost of hedging, as you put it. And so now, if the market's flat, if the market's completely flat on the equ- flat on the equity side, the amount that an investor the you know will give up is less. So let me kind of stop there, Jay, and, and see if you wanted to add anything on the on this portion of the portfolio. And then I think we can, we can also talk about sort of the opportunity going forward, but let me, let me kick it back to you for a sec. The
1: the only other, you know, piece about the yielding portion today that I, that I bring up is, you know, because we invest for longer periods of time, that yielding portion is, while well, it's regularly reviewed. Um, we put it on with the expectation that that position is going to be, um, on for a little bit so we could earn the yield we're trying to get. And so the question I get sometimes is, you know, Jay, what, you know, Treasuries, a two-year Treasury right now because I think you, you just mentioned our duration is on the lower end. It's just over two years, I think, right now in our portfolio, which is definitely on the shorter end of things, uh, which is good. Uh, why not just buy a two-year Treasury, Jay? It's it's paying three and a half, three, you know, point four percent this week. Why why wouldn't you do that and then take away, you know? the risk of things like default, right? Or even the equity correlation that high yield may have.
0: Yeah, and I I think there's two different ways to look at it. One is for existing portfolios. And one is as we go forward, what types of pieces might we bring into the portfolio? Well, at the beginning of 2022, interest rates, uh, let's say on a two-year treasury, were not 3.5%. They were much lower. They were a little bit north of 1%. And although although the duration is very low, so two years, and the duration calculation, we'll leave that for another time, it's not how long you have until maturity. It's a combination of the the coupon rate and the time to maturity. And the calculation is a little bit more involved, but your duration is usually as in, so let's say a 1.7 duration means for every 100 basis point, every full 1% rise in rates, you would expect your underlying bond to lose about 1.7%. Okay. So yeah, I think going forward, if treasury yields are higher, they may have a place in the portfolio. But our existing portfolios where market values have gone down because interest rates have gone up, we are still collecting interest and or dividends from those uh, fixed income assets, the bonds. But bonds when they go to maturity they mature at par value barring defaults means a hundred or thousand dollars per bond I think some of the bonds if, if you know you kind of look at uh, our existing portfolio they are trading a lot of them at you know 93 on on a weighted basis something like you know 93 cents on the dollar 92 cents on the dollar meaning there is more appreciation possible not certain but possible as those bonds move further along in time. And so not only the coupons, which are higher, uh, the interest payments that are higher than treasuries, but also the potential appreciation. And so I think that's one of the reasons, Jay, when you and I get asked the question, hey, why not rotate out of some of this? Um, I think we, we look at a, this on a total return basis, meaning the change in potential market value and the amount of dividends slash interest we will get in. So I think that's the main point. Jay, I don't know if you had anything else to add on that.
1: No, no, that was that was the point, right? Like, hey, we didn't, you couldn't use treasuries a year ago, right? Yields were way too low. We would, wouldn't would have made the money that we would have made. And by the way, we wouldn't have avoided much of the risk that we ended up experiencing. Um, and then you're right that going forward, yeah, new builds today make a ton of sense to have a bigger treasury uh, component, right? We like rates here. I mean, of course we like it, right? The two year hasn't been at this high of a yield in the last 15 years. That was all over the news this week. If you were watching any, any financial station, right. Where they say, well, wow, the two years hit a 15 year high in yield. Like, yeah, we like it. It's a good time to buy, you know, a two year treasury. Right. So yeah, we definitely use those when we have new builds, but existing builds have kind of this inherent discount built into it. And as long as there aren't, uh, defaults, which you just mentioned earlier that they're low, those bonds should appreciate towards par, right? So you got appreciation and you got the dividend. It makes a lot of sense to continue to hold the existing positions. So no, that's I just reiterated what you just said.
0: I will say also that uh, a lot of times we look at buy and hedge our strategy, and we say, well, you know, what's what's a good comparable thing to look at? And I always take a look at the sixty forty portfolio. And this is a great example of a year where, due to interest rates rising and the fact that rates were so low, the 60 meaning 60% in stocks and the 40 meaning you know, 40% in, in bonds, that 40%, I think at one point was down the same or more than the market. Uh, I think it's, I, I haven't looked uh, recently, Jay. But, you know, 60 40 has not protected investors this year and i think that's an important point to bring up jay
1: yeah well that that's really it like the the modern portfolio theory uh would tell you know the long term investor to use a 60 40 breakdown i i like that they call it modern portfolio theory i think at this point it's over 70 years old right it was developed yes. in the 50s am i correct right so to me not so modern so i think this is a more progressive Uh, And sophisticated means of meeting the needs of that 60 40 investor, right? And that's really the target market here for us. And it's really who it's appropriate for. So, you know, when we talk to people that have had a 60 40 build, they're all very disappointed this year, right? Because that 40 didn't give them the offset, right? Everybody always thinks, oh, stocks down, bonds up. Nope, not this year. This year was stocks down, bonds down, right? Actually, Everything was down this year. So there weren't a lot of places to hide this year. But that's this is a very unique year when it comes to investing. And um and and that but again, we look at broader trends versus the one year, certainly the first, you know, eight months of this year. But uh that that's right, Derek. I think it's important to say who it's you know, this is kind of what I would call it comparable to is that modern portfolio theory 6040 built.
0: Isn't like the Museum of Modern Art, doesn't don't they have stuff that's much older than current too? <laughs> I haven't been to the
1: one, <laughs> the MoMA, to
0: the one in New York in a while, but yeah, it's been a while.
1: Yeah. For me too.
0: All right. So let me, let me get to this too. I think one of the benefits is that we haven't touched on, but I, I briefly mentioned it. It's the hedger's opportunity. And there is one of the cases, a strong case for hedging in my mind is first staying invested in the market. Uh, limiting the losses on the equity side, you know, to trying to set things up, no more than eight to ten percent is the goal over a twelve-month period on the equity side. We talked about that, but it begs the question: if the markets go down tomorrow, sixty percent, you know, you you wake up and the S and P is down sixty percent. If you only lost eight to ten percent on the equity side, Jay, I think this sets you up for the hedger's opportunity, right? What is it? Well, what does it mean? Yeah. Yeah, like,
1: yeah, of course, like um, we we started out talking about how markets eventually rebound. Right. So why hedge? Right. Okay, maybe you you don't have a time limitation, but why even bother hedging, Jay? Right. Sometimes I get that question. The answer is then why would you buy insurance on your car? Right. It's for the protection when your car has. An accident and you need to utilize your insurance. You don't go ah, that's all right. I'm just gonna you know let that go. You cash in on your insurance. Same thing with hedging. If you're hedging, you must cash in and take advantage of the fact that you are hedged. And for this portfolio, uh, the way that we look at it is, you know, once we've experienced uh, you know significant amount of the that eight to ten percent risk that we take, we now know that we are avoiding some loss, right? So let's say the market's down twenty five percent and I stop losing money at 10, I've just avoided 15% of the market downdraft. Well, I could now buy the market at a discount of 25%. For me, it's I'm using dollars that uh, only took a 10% dip. So it actually allows you to reinvest in the market. We like to say reinvest avoided losses. You reinvest at the, in the market while it is at a discount with dollars that didn't experience that loss which is very different than when you're invested in the market, right? And you're just long the market. If you're just long the market and the market drops 25%, all your dollars now were just kind of by 25% also, right? So what can you do? I mean, yeah, maybe you decide to rotate it out of some Apple and buy some Facebook, right? Maybe that's the kind of rotation you want to do on an individual stock because Facebook was down 50 while Apple was only down 10 or whatever it was. Yeah, okay, There's that's a choice. But you have to come up with money, in your portfolio when you want to buy the broader market at a discount. For us, we don't. For us, we'll dip in to that 90% of the portfolio that was invested in what I'll call that yield portion, we'll dip into that piggy bank, right? It's there for us to utilize and add exposure to the market, right? So we end up putting money to work, buying the market at a discount, and we end up having more shares, more exposure on the way up than we had on the way down, right? So what happens is you end up creating this opportunity for outperformance on the way back up. Because if you weren't going to do anything with the fact that you were hedged and avoided a loss, then there's not a lot of point of doing it. And so, Derek, I actually think I have to give you full credit for coining the phrase, the hedger's opportunity years ago. Um, I don't actually think that's even in the book, right, that I wrote in 2010, 2011, I think you actually ended up coining the phrase the hedger's opportunity in 2013, 14, because you said, look, Jay, there is a way uh, to express this notion how you need to take advantage of your profit or your avoided loss and put that back to work so that when the market does eventually rebound, you end up having more exposure on the way up than you had on the way down, and it ends up helping you capitalize on the fact that you avoided the loss.
0: I think one of the things too to bring up is a lot of traditional strategies, like the 60-40, like others, they do this rebalancing. And rebalancing means if stocks went up and bonds went down, you trim some stocks, you buy some bonds. The way we do it is a little bit differently in that in the buying hedge strategy, we have tranches, which is a French word that suddenly became very popular uh, two thousand eight, two thousand nine, when they had the the tranches of, you know, mortgage bonds and things like that. But it really is just a fancy way for saying, when we put on equity sp- exposure. We're not always buying the call options at one maturity, meaning we don't necessarily always use like, oh, we're using the one that expire in a year from now or a year and a half. We ladder these out, and so Jay, I think that's really the alternative to to, to traditional. Uh, rebalancing is as those maturities come up, that gives us an opportunity to sort of make reinvestments at lower levels or to take risk off by reducing the exposure to to equity. So maybe that, that's something maybe you want to touch on just briefly.
1: Yeah. You you just, you flipped the script there a minute and uh, inadvertently, not inadvertently, but you just hit on two points. So yes. So the first thing is, which when we talk about the hedgers opportunity, the fact that we uh, deliberately spread out our expirations and our options, we're regularly given a chance to reinvest avoided losses, right? As one piece rolls off, uh, it's not like the whole portfolio is, have, has to have this, you know, all or none decision, like what a rebalance does, right? When they, you know, uh, we've got to go from, we we ended up being 70-30, we got to go back to 60-40, the whole thing gets rebalanced. For us, we're just adjusting those options um, and we don't have to adjust them all at once, right? So we've spread that decision time out. Where you rotated to was on the upside, right? You rotated to the fact that while the markets are going up, the fact that we have this regular uh, uh, cadence of expirations means it gives us the opportunity to lock in those gains and rehedge on a regular basis. So let's take the opposite of this year and take 2021, right, which was the really the flip side of what's going on in 2022. In 2021, in 2020, as the market was going up, right, and our calls were appreciating in value, we would then say, look, this call that I put on that was 10% of the portfolio at the time has grown enough to the point that um, I don't want to have as much risk. I still want to be hedged. I want to lock in some of those gains And so a market timer would make the decision of saying, oh, let me sell my profits and go to cash with what we do and which we think helps you stay more invested for longer is we take the profits of that call simultaneously, close it out at a profit, put cash in our pocket, and then use some of the proceeds to buy the next call. Right. And again, bringing my risk from 20 down to 10 percent again, right, by rolling that. And so let's say if I bought a call, that was 10%, sold that call for 20%. I've just made 10% extra on that call. I take 10% of that that gain, uh, put it in my pocket. When I say put it in my pocket, it goes to the yield portion of the portfolio. And then that other 10% goes towards buying the next uh, exposure, buying the next call. So it's really, uh, you know, when we talk about an actively managed portfolio, right, locking in gains and rolling hedges when there's profits. Or taking advantage of declines and reinvesting avoided losses, whatever way you want to look at it, this portfolio, the buy and hedge portfolio, is managed for up and down markets. There's not a this is not a set it and forget it kind of a portfolio at all.
0: I think one one question, uh, a quick one, I wanted to bring up too is uh, for anyone who's in the buy and hedge strategy and, and might say, well, you know, the market was down. And, but the strategy lost money. And I think it's an important point. You already touched on, you know, the eight to 10% down. Um, These portfolios are not hedged from dollar one, meaning if the market goes down until that sort of barrier, uh, they'll go down. I I think maybe just touch on that a little bit, real quickly, Jay, because I think that's a question we get too.
1: Well, right. I mean, we just told you we're going to take eight to ten percent of risk in the equity market out of the gate, right? So while that is a limitation, it's still the amount of risk that we're going to take, right? We don't hedge from dollar one, just like you don't buy car insurance from dollar one, right? When I used that example, I told you there was a deductible, right? And I even gave you an example of when you ding a fender, you still paid your premium and you paid to get the fender fixed, right? So in that scenario, we do definitely take some risks. This is not a riskless strategy, right? We definitely have some risk in the portfolio. If you don't want to take more than 8 to 10% equity risk, then this is not the portfolio for you. But if you're invested in the stock market, you're taking much, much more risk than that anyway. But no, it's not from dollar $1. We are willing to take up to 8 to 10% of risk in the equity portion of the portfolio. Yes, for sure. All
0: right. So we talked about a lot. I think the main thing is for people who are fearful, uh, want to try and sleep a little bit better at night, still need growth in portfolio, still want access to equity markets, uh, want to try and keep pace with inflation, have the ability, so if the market goes way, way down, have the ability to buy at lower levels. I mean, th- these are all things that potentially are very appealing on a hedged equity strategy. Um, I will uh, put a link in the show notes to the page where you can read know, whether it's the performance or get more information on the strategy, uh, Zegafinancial.com, of course, is the website where you'll do that. But I'll put the specific link in there. Uh, you can also reach out to me, uh, Derek.more at com with questions about the show or suggestions, I guess I'll say that. Uh, D E R E K dot M O O R E at Z is in zebra, E is in Eddie G is at George A is an Apple. Financials up to you to spell correctly. Um Jay, real quickly, I do have a. I started watching uh, Rexall, Rexham on Hulu. I don't know if you know about this show.
1: I absolutely do. I'm a big fan of those guys, right? Uh, I'm a big fan of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. So. Uh, Rob, that's one of the, the, the writing members there is a, a purchaser of the Wrexham football team in, uh, in, uh, uh, in the UK. It's in Wells, right? Is that, did I get that right? Boy, I probably just. Wales. 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 I did think. I say Wales? Yeah. Wales. Um, yeah. yeah, I think it's great. I mean, Ryan Reynolds is right. Everybody loves him these days as well, but, uh. Yeah, I'm, I've watched the first couple episodes of it as well. And I think it's, you know, it's good fun for the family, right? Like Lynn and Xander and I have watched that uh, together so far. And it's, uh, it's, it's, it's been good, right? It's coming out weekly, right? The whole thing's not out yet, I believe, right? I've watched the first two or three.
0: Yeah, three episodes are out. And, the, and for anyone who's not familiar with uh, European football, that's soccer for us in the, in the U.S. They have promotion relegation. And so imagine, like in the NFL, the New York Giants had a bad season.
1: I can't imagine that possibly happening at all.
0: Yeah, it's probably going to happen again. But uh, <laughs> they would get relegated to like a second-tier football NFL league, you know, an American football league. And they might get keep getting relegated down. And so this Wrexham football club, soccer club, they are in like the, I think the fourth or fifth down league. But in theory, they could buy that club and if they could keep winning promotion, it would take them, you know, four or five years, they could wind up in the English Premier League, which is massive. I mean, you know, that's the, uh, the, the Premier League as they call it. So imagine like you have a, a, a little NFL, not, you know, an American football league somewhere in the U S like, what is that? That league, league two of arena football. Like if we had the same system, you could buy that team to eventually get, get to the NFL probably supplant the new york giants because they're going to stink this year unfortunately jay but
1: the jets first we'll all admit the jets are
0: going to go first they'll be relegated first probably because they're the jets it's just the way (laughs) other teams get better
1: fans obviously yeah yeah so that that's a good show i definitely started watching that you know i'm catching up also on netflix one called sandman it's a little more of a kind of a fan it's interesting it's okay that's the comic book right jay isn't that? book. I don't know after one. And then the other one that I'm watching again with the family is the, uh, is the, the, the mildly entertaining She-Hulk on Marvel, right on Disney plus. So uh, that one's not so bad either. Just fun. Don't have to think it's good. I, we didn't really give any deep thinkers this week. Did we to watch?
0: No, I mean, I finished, you know, Blackbird. I, that's still my strongest recommendation. Tough I stuff. I finished it as well. Stuff, did yeah. I tell you I finished it? No. To- what, what'd you think?
1: Yeah, good. I'm surprised it got your top top, like your uh, succession and billions rating, but it was good, but I I probably wouldn't have given it the top top.
0: Yeah. Succession. If you haven't watched that, just do yourself a favor, go watch that and you'll thank us later. Send me emails. Send me thank you emails. All right, Jay, I think we've, we beat this up enough. We'll leave it there. And uh, thank you again for coming on. And uh, next week, we'll give our uh, or in two weeks, maybe our NFL predictions, which will be just as bad as our stock predictions at the end. Perfect.
1: Perfect. (laughs) All right, Jay.
0: Thanks again. We'll see everyone next week. Bye. Bye.